Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Hey, everyone, and welcome to this episode of The Working Therapist. I'm Hayden Bolick, your host, and today we have Kim Molnar, who's with me. Hey, Kim. Hey, how are you? <laughs> Introduce yourself for people who are listening. My name is Kim Molnar. I'm a team lead here at Pediatric Developmental Therapy. I have just a couple of years of experience in the schools. I've practiced <laughs> for about 20 years in the schools and now actually manage therapists that serve our contract sites, which are in the schools. So I'm looking forward to this. Yep. We are talking today about something right up your alley, but how to do good therapy in the schools. And I'm going to just lump in their contract sites, meaning mm-hmm. like developmental day centers, other contract sites. A charter school was, again, a school, but other contract sites you might go to if you're a therapist working. Yes. So we're going to lump them all together. And so, yes, this is definitely something. 20 years, but who's counting, right? I mean, yeah, it's hard to have done 20 years experience. I guess you started when you were what, like 10 or something. Yes, of course. Yes, that's how it goes. That's right. So there's a good way to do this, and there's a bad way to do this. <laughs> and I wish somebody had told me 20 years ago how to do this good, you know, because it would have saved me some headaches and some trial and error and me looking stupid. Right, right. <laughs> There's a way to do it without running around looking like a chicken with your head cut off, because I've done that. There's a way to do it where you never let them see you sweat. And if you know, for those people out there listening who are maybe in graduate school and haven't really started working yet, and you're working with somebody and you're thinking, my gosh, their caseload is 50 kids, and they're all, most of them are speech-only kids, and I don't know how they do this. If they make it look easy, mm-hmm. they're doing what we're getting ready to tell you. Right. <laughs> Well, and there's some history to school therapy. Back when I started 20 years ago, there weren't laws in place and compliance rules in place to protect mm-hmm. the therapist. You know, we would have 100 kids on caseloads, three to four different schools a week, in addition to doing all the paperwork and all mm-hmm. the, the case management that we had to do for each child that was on our caseload. And now, you know, we've come a long way with school therapy, with contract mm-hmm. sites. There are rules and laws in place where you have caps on how many children you can see per therapist. So I've enjoyed seeing the progression, but at the end of a working day, working with so many different children and adults that are involved in that building. It's a busy day. It's a busy week. And there is definitely an art to providing therapy. Yeah. For anybody who's in the schools, and it's different. When we're saying school or contract site therapy, it's different than uh, hospital-based therapy or clinic-based therapy, where you're outpatient clinic therapy, or if you're working in a rehab hospital. We're talking about the people who are working in the schools or contract sites, such as a we call them in North Carolina developmental day centers, um, like a UCP center or someplace like that. Yeah. Right. And I've had the pleasure and the opportunity to work both. When you're in the schools or when you're at a developmental day center, you have various professionals that surround you all day long, not including the children that you have to see. So right. you have to be very flexible. You have to acquire a knowledge on how to schedule these children and how to communicate, collaborate, and definitely cooperate with everyone in the building. And you have to also sort of plan your day when we're talking about scheduling, because scheduling is the most important thing, I think, first. Scheduling is a first big topic. So 
you've got to make hay while the sun's shining, meaning you've got to see the kids when they're available to be seen. So you need to pack your schedule such that if you're dealing with a developmental day center, where it's a center for kids with birth to five or a Head Start or something like that, or a preschool type setting, you have to see as many kids as possible before nap time or before lunchtime, or whatever it is. So you need to schedule yourself, make sure you're there before the kids get there from the bus. You know, that kind of sounds silly, but you need to make sure you're there before that. And then you need to sort of plan your day so that you've got kids back to back to back to back to back until they go down for nap or lunchtime Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Because you've got a certain number of kids in, and, and you've got to make sure you still do what's best for the child. And so you can't just try to group a bunch of kids together that are inappropriate to group or whatever, you know. Right. So my thought is scheduling is first, and you have to really base your schedule not on what you necessarily need, but what really your caseload demands. Right. And your caseload, you know, you get your caseload at the beginning of that school year, and you really have to look and you have to assess frequencies, you know, how many times are you seeing Mm -hmm. that child per week and what area are you treating them for? And so on top of the simple things, which are right there in front of you, you know how many times you got to pull them, you know what they're being treated for. You have to go and work around a master schedule in a school building. You have to work around their literacy block. You have to work around their math. You have to work around their resource time. They've Mm got to eat during the day and they eat twice, eat breakfast, eat lunch. Mm -hmm. So it's a skill. And young therapists struggle with that. And that's why it's so important from early on, they have mentorship and they really have someone side by side with them modeling. How do you fit everything in the schedule that week? How do you fit it all in so that you're basically doing what the law says, which is you've got to see those children weekly and whatever their documents state that you have to see them. Exactly. And I think also what's important in that is a backup plan. Because I've gone many a day and I've started my day and I've had a plan for the kids I was going to see and they weren't available. So I've got to have a backup plan. Either I've got other kids that I can put in those slots right quick or I've got paperwork that I've already in my head kind of decided, okay, well, this IEP is due. I better get this one done. Progress notes have to be sent home. I've got whatever it is I've got to do. But I've got a backup plan so that I'm using my time. Otherwise, you're going to be taking a lot of paperwork home, and that's really not a ton of fun. Right. And there is a huge collaboration piece when you're scheduling on a site or in a school building. And if you have multiple schools, it's even more difficult because you're typically, you know, three days a week at one school, two days a week at maybe a contract site or another school. But I've seen two different philosophies from therapists and their approaches. Neither one is deemed incorrect, but I have seen one that's most successful. Therapists that have the mentality initially that they're just going to fly under the radar in the building. They're just mm. going to walk in. They're going to pull their children. Mm-hmm. They're going to schedule their kids. And when you fly under a radar in any type of public facility, in my opinion, it's never a good idea. That's just my opinion. Mm. Because there's so much now that goes into scheduling. You have to know the people that you're working with in that building. And there's no way to know everybody in that building if you have the philosophy that you're going to fly under the radar and, and just see the children and chop, chop, done at the end of the day. I can go to the next site. So it all flows together. It all meshes together. It all goes back to the schedule because that's why you're there. But there is also a skill that you have to maintain, and that's how to talk to the teachers, how to talk to the front desk, how to know when you have to go to the principal and say, look, this child has... Mm-hmm. You know, resource time three hours a day, and the other time you've got intervention that nobody can pull anywhere 
from that intervention. So what plan do I need to put in place so that I can see the child because there's some conflict? So there is a lot of communication and a lot of collaboration that has to take place when making that schedule. Yep, you're right. I agree with you about flying under the radar. You got to, I mean, you're part of the team, so you might as mm-hmm. well go ahead and just, even mm-hmm. if you're split between schools or if you're working at an outside agency and they contract with a certain place to go into a site, that's why we call it a contract site, mm-hmm. you're still a part of that team. And when you're there in that situation, you've got to play by their rules. You're part of the team. So right. you might as well be a fly. I agree with you about flying under the radar. That really never works. It, it doesn't. It doesn't work at all. And if you're working for a private company that's contracting with schools, or even if you're a public school therapist and you're working for the state, it just gives our profession a bad name. It does. Yeah, it just, it doesn't give a true picture of the speech pathologists that walk in and juggle 10 different things that have to take place in that setting at that particular day and all week. You know, they work hard to juggle a lot of responsibility. So I'm a huge advocate for making sure as a professional courtesy to whoever's in charge in that building to make sure they know you're there and become a team Mm -hmm. player the moment you walk in the door. Yep, and I think that kind of leads to the next thing, which is you have to be nice to people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're not nice to people, because, well, and I think of it like this, each classroom you go into, number one, it's their classroom. And so you need to know that right off and treat it as such. And then each one has its own little personality. That classroom takes that personality from the teacher, in my opinion. You know, that's how mm-hmm. it works to me. And mm-hmm. so you've got to kind of walk in and know, okay, well, this is number one. This is not my classroom. This is her or his classroom. And then how am I going to best and most efficiently work with this teacher? Right. Nobody's asking you to have dinner. Just work right. nicely together. Right, right. Always yep. have a professional attitude. Being nice is the key to all success, in mm-hmm. my opinion. As a parent and as a professional, as a speech pathologist, and what I do every day, which is work around people and work around public, you just have to be nice. It's the key. It is the key. Mm-hmm. I agree. And what did you tell me one time? Something, if you're not nice, they see you coming, they're going to lock the door. Isn't that what you told me one time? Yes, yes. The key players in a scheduling process, in a school process, and just the school experience, your front desk people, your bookkeepers, your cafeteria workers, all these people, they go unnoticed, you know, probably for somebody that's not on payroll at that school. But I always made a point to really get to know these people and be nice to these people. And they're the nicest people that you could ever meet, but Mm -hmm. but they hold the key to the doors and... Mm -hmm. If you're locked out and if um, <laughs> literally if you're locked, locked out. out, yeah, if you're locked out your room or you can't get little Johnny because there's a conflict or you got hung up in traffic, you need to call the school and say, Miss So and so, I'm late and I need you to deliver a message to the teacher. If you've been nice, the chances are 99% of the time mm-hmm. they're going to help you out. Oh, yes. Yes. Because yeah. the name of the game is you got to really realize. You're there because you got a job to do. You've got these kids that need mm-hmm. therapy and need services, mm-hmm. and your job is to get them out of therapy and services by helping them graduate for those who will be able to. So it doesn't help to get into a little turf war or a little, I can't believe she said this to me, war or whatever it is. It's so below what you really need to do and so below your goal and your what you're working on because these kids need services so you're there to help these people you know so you have to be nice to the people you're around and you have to realize hey this person i may not necessarily have 
like be best friends or it's not somebody I necessarily want to have dinner with. But when I'm here and I'm working, I am going to be cordial and nice and professional. Right. And one of the things, too, just real quick while I'm thinking about it is, you know, I'm not so naive that everyone in the building is great and all things right. go well when you go into class and the math teacher's going to let you pull them at 1 o'clock, even if they start math at one fifteen, they're going to miss 15 minutes. It certainly does not happen that easily, but what some of the little tricks that I would acquire after, you know, serving the schools is I knew which teacher would give me the hardest time, mm-hmm. which teacher would cause the biggest concern in regards to scheduling. And if I said 8 o'clock, they would say 8.30. If I said 1 o'clock, they would say 1.30. It was just <laughs> always an issue. So at the day one of the school year, I'd get my schedule Monday through Friday ready, and that would be the first teacher that I would go to. Mm. Take your pick, I'd say. <laughs> what time do you want? You're the first one on the schedule. Yep. So. Those, you know, personalities, you know, you Mm -hmm. just have to, you don't want to waste any energy on that. You don't want to waste any discussion. So you just give them the option and then you're done. Your challenge for the day is over. Yep. I know exactly what you're talking about because when I was, and and this is more from a developmental day perspective, but a zero to five-year-old population, they would always, they would have lunch between 11 and 12 and they staggered lunch. So it just depended on who was lunch. And then they would go down for a nap immediately thereafter. Well, I knew the teachers that would let me pull them, you know, before they went down for a nap and they would go down for a nap a little bit late. And I knew the ones who wouldn't, but I also knew the ones that would let me, you know, maybe wake the child up 15 minutes early so I could get them. And so I, I would go ahead and see the ones who wouldn't let me sort of have the flexibility with the nap. I would try to always pull those kids in the morning. And usually if I got those kids seen in the morning, then during the course of the school year, because they saw that I was trying to sort of accommodate their schedule and understand their situations about nap time and that, they would sometimes sort of lighten up on me a little bit, you know? And then they sometimes by the end of the school year or spring of the school year, they would sometimes let me pull them during nap time because they saw that I was really trying hard to accommodate and work well with their schedule. So it would go a long way for me. Yeah. Yeah. Which brings us to the next topic of you need to know your resources, meaning Mm -hmm. you've got to sort of know what you're working with, know who in the building can help you, who can't help you, when they can help you. (laughs) Right. This category can go on for days. You can go beyond the building. You can go beyond the county. You can go beyond the county to the research that's that's taking place in a university. I mean, obviously in our profession, we have to keep up with our resources. Mm-hmm. But what helps you in a school building is really knowing the resources amongst those professionals, knowing the professionals that you're working with, knowing their strengths, knowing their weaknesses, anything that can make your day easier in regards to getting the children seen and yep. also getting their goals and objectives obtained. So... Yep. Resources can be broad. I mean, you might want to, like in a developmental day center, what would be an example? So in a developmental day center, I think sometimes there it might be that you know, you're doing your paperwork. It's different the types of paperwork sometimes than you're doing in the schools. You're, you're putting your goals into SECUS or EZIEP or whatever system the school that developmental day center is working. But sometimes, you know, like in the schools, you might be responsible for the whole chart for the child. But in the developmental day center, you wouldn't. So there, person who, 
your go-to in terms of your educational coordinator, your person who's sort of your liaison to the schools, that's a huge resource because if you make friends and know how they work, then getting your paperwork into the schools will be easier for you. Also, knowing how they schedule their meetings. So they'll let you know quickly when your meetings are going to be. They might also come to you in advance and say, hey, look, I'm trying to schedule these 10 kids. When does this meeting time work best for you? If you really make good friends with them, they might give you first dibs on when the meetings are. So that's the person who could be your resources, like the educational coordinator person. Mm -hmm. She's a huge, she or he, they can be a huge help to you to make your life a whole lot easier. And that's not direct therapy related, but, well, it is, but it's all the like collateral stuff in addition to therapy that you have to deal with can make your life very difficult. Right. That's an example. That's not like a therapy resource in terms of a therapy activity, but that's a person that's a resource. No, I think people are your resources and you can categorize them such that you know, I used to have my in the building resources and then I'd have my EC office resources. Oh, yeah. And I could even go mm. beyond that, you know, within our all the speech pathologists that worked mm-hmm. in that particular county. They were huge resources. You know, we have lots of people who were assistive technology trained that was their forte. And I wouldn't waste ten sessions, you know, just scratching my head going, what in the world am I going to do with this child? My life would be a lot easier and I'd take less time off my schedule because definitely the minutes are scarce. You just don't have a lot of time. So you want to be resourceful. You don't want to take so much time trying to figure out on your own. So you want to be able to, you know, pick up the phone, know that that particular therapist is very skilled in fluency or that particular Mm -hmm. therapist is very skilled in assistive technology. And when you're resourceful like that, you're efficient. And when you're efficient, you get a lot more done during the day, and you definitely are less stressed by the end of the week. But knowing your resources in the building, outside the building, Mm -hmm. it's key for making sure your schedule is going smoothly. I think one of the things that I wish somebody had told me 20 years is like label the resources. Because I think for a long time I worked without knowing people were resources without, like you just finished saying, using my resources. Like I don't think I labeled people or people and opportunities as resources. Right. And so I think I wasted a lot of time trying to figure this out where I wish somebody had just said, hey, you know, if you're having trouble with sensory stuff, why don't you go ask the OT? Right. (laughs) You know, or why don't you, you I don't know, call your friend that's a speech therapist doesn't even work in the same place as you, but that's a resource. So, yeah, because you're, like you said, time is of the essence. You only have that school year. You only have a very little bit of time per week with that child, really. And so you really got to, Try to be as efficient as possible. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I can't. Yeah. Remember, I can't believe I hadn't mentioned efficiency until now. But <laughs> no. You have well, to be efficient. That's yeah. for sure. You really do. That actually, we should have mentioned that earlier. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, we did now. That's good. Okay. But speaking of efficiency, really, this next category is the key term in this whole thing. But creative therapy, because you have to be efficient, and you can't. You know, if you're doing therapy, well, you are doing therapy all day long, back to back to back to back to back. You've got to have creative, fun, interesting therapy ideas. It's got to be simple. It's got to be educationally relevant. It's got to be functional. And that makes you efficient if you can get therapy things that are without pulling a ton of toys out of the cabinet or switching or having to figure out how to, you know, spend half your session trying to make an activity work or something. That's efficient. You got to get right to it. You don't really have time to game set up. You don't have time for any of that. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No. 
And that's when it's amazing. It goes right back to scheduling. This whole entire podcast is just like one big circle Mm -hmm. because whatever we talk about at the end, it just really goes right back up to where we started with scheduling because if you haven't scheduled effectively and efficiently, then you're not going to be able to do the simple and functional creative therapy. Right. So it really just all ties in together with if you scheduled your kids, if you group your kids based on their delays, if you've grouped their kids based on right. and they're in a separate classroom. So you've grouped them according to their need so that you can do the creative therapy, the functional therapy. All of this kind of ties in to the efficiency and the effectiveness of how your year is going to go. Yep. So, for example, I guess for some of my little three-year-old people that I would do, if I was going to do an art activity that week, then I had enough paper pulled out. I might have stickers pulled out. I would have markers, crayons. They all be packaged up in my start pile. I might have Play-Doh. I might also have like a toy like a Mr. Potato Head. So, for example, that could be a start pile for the beginning of the day. Well, each person, I could do various activities with the Play-Doh with the child. I could do, you know, initiating to request Play-Doh. I could do verbs in terms of mash it, roll it. We can do cookie cutter things. We could use Play-Doh with a book, and I could cover up different pictures in the book, and we could find whatever picture was hiding underneath. So there's a lot of different things I can do, but it's all Play-Doh. So I have to keep pulling stuff in the cabinet, taking stuff out, putting stuff in, taking stuff out. And if, for example, I was going to do something with stickers and paper, then we could put the stickers on our body parts. If that's where we want, nose, ears, lips, you know, that kind of thing. We could also take the stickers and put them on the paper and you can use action type of stickers. Melissa and Doug have got some great action stickers out. And so you can do kicking, running stickers, or you can put the stickers up, down, prepositions, you know, directions with stickers, lots of stuff. So I just would take whatever kind of goals the children are working on. That's what I'd sort of plan in advance, meaning that morning when I got there and made sure which kids were there, my plan in advance, say, okay, what goals were we working on? I'd pull toys accordingly, and then I would work with that one set of toys for that whole group of kids. And that would make me much more efficient because then I'd have to try to get stuff in and out and make my therapy sessions efficient so that I could see that I was spending the whole 30 minutes, for example, with that child working on his goals versus trying to get stuff in and out of the cabinet and all that. Kind of the same for in the schools? Similar? Yeah, very similar. A lot of the scheduling in the schools, you tend, because you have a master schedule that you have to go by, a lot of your grade levels are scheduled same time of day. So you may have all third graders, you know, 8 to 10.30, 11 o'clock in the morning. So you would have their goals in mind, their objectives in mind. You would pull your therapy materials that morning pertaining to that grade level. could be language art or art, could be fluency, mm-hmm. but I would use all kinds of cards and action cards and categories, and I could pretty much hit a goal with any deck of cards. You know, school-age children, they love to take a break away, if you will, quote unquote, from the reading that they're doing in the classroom. So I could almost trick them into playing some type of card game or Mm -hmm. something that at least broke away from from reading and the math in the classroom. It's also very efficient and simple and functional if you pull materials that are used in the classroom. You pull books. You Mm -hmm. can pull activities. If you know there's a concept, if you have a child that has some receptive language issues, then there are materials in that classroom that the teacher, you know, has just gone over with the class as a whole. But your little student with some language delays may need you to reteach it. You may need to revisit the concept. So these are materials that you didn't really have to go hunting for. You just had to know that 
based on that activity, you were going to address the goals that were for that child for that particular speech therapy session. I've also been known if I have some fifth graders, and we don't have a lot of fifth graders that are in speech therapy, but we have some fifth graders that work on fluency or RTIC. One of the big projects in fifth grade is civic oration. So Mm -hmm. during their civic oration time, you know, those teachers spend maybe six to eight weeks on a civic oration writing it, saying it in the classroom, saying it out loud. They have to go to different classrooms around the school building to say this speech. And if you have a child that has a speech delay or articulation production issue, then you want them to practice with you one-on-one. So I've used their civic oration speeches for Arctic therapy and fluency therapy. We've practiced and we've targeted our sounds. We've targeted fluency strategies that they need to improve on. And we've talked about how they need to carry over. So these are all functional things that, you know, don't always have to fly off a shelf in a school building because sometimes you walk into a teacher's classroom or you collaborate with that teacher and realize, oh, well, they're doing what I'm doing. You know, Mm -hmm. they're addressing language goals that I'm addressing. So let's work together here and not against each other. And so I'll pull activities a lot from the actual teachers that I'm coworkers with. Yeah, exactly. That's the same thing in the developmental day. I've done the same similar things, not the civic oration. That's a rocking idea. That's good. But in circle time or in the classroom, you know, if the kids go to various centers, sometimes I would set myself up in a center, you know, because you can work. Like if I'm in the block center, I can do all kinds. I can do actions. I can do prepositions. I can do pronouns. I can do naming. I can do all kinds of stuff. And a lot of times I can get a lot of my little people seen most efficiently that way because they got to rotate through the centers anyway. And I can also work on peer interaction, social, pragmatic stuff. So that's a good way to get kids seen and efficient because you don't have to take them to and from the, and it's functional. Right. Yeah. Same thing as the working in the classroom. You don't always have to pull them out and pull them off. You know, you don't always have to. And and sometimes the beauty of working in these sites and Mm -hmm. the school setting any given day, it can be different. Yep. And sometimes your therapy is just created for you, whether you may have a plan set right in front of you of the goals that you're going to address or the activities that you're going to use. But sometimes, you know, I had a good example. I had a visually impaired child who was actually going through some pain issues with his eyes at the time, and they were in and out of doctor's offices. And The mom just came to the beginning of my session. She said, I need you to get him to understand what pain level he's feeling. I Mm. need him to be able to express pain. And she expressed that to me. And one of his goals, he does have some pretty severe language issues, but one of his goals is expressive language. And he just could not give her a pain threshold. He could not tell her what hurt very badly versus just a a little bit of pain, not enough to call the doctor. But he was a musician. Hmm. He was a really good musician, and that he understood. So we went from there, and that's one of those things where you just kind of push everything you had on the table. (laughs) We're not doing that today because this is an excellent goal. We're going to tap into something here we're not used to tapping into. So Mm. we were able to connect through music to get him to express his pain levels, but it had to be his strengths to get us there and his awareness of music. So sometimes it's just those little things that pop up and you got to roll with it because it was a parent concern or a teacher's concern at that moment. So it it might not be about 
the perfect right. session that you've prepared for, but you have to roll and, and do therapy. Well, but I think what is even bigger than that is just understanding that in that situation, for that example, you know, he had expressive language goals. That was appropriate and that worked on what you were doing. You don't have to get stuck in that therapy rut of, oh, well, he needs to work on a no. five or sentence or whatever it was. Right. I don't know. Yeah. And it couldn't have been more functional. Yeah, it, it really could. Very have. functional. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's really good. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So next, we're moving on to from these therapy ideas to compliance. So the biggest thing I have to say about this is, <laughs> when you are at a contract site or anywhere really, don't be late with your paperwork. People talk ugly about you. <laughs> People really talk ugly about you. And I know this because I've been late with my paperwork. So I wish somebody had told me twenty years ago. Get all your stuff done on time. Stay in compliance. And then if you go ahead and set workflows and work habits early on in your career, then it doesn't take so much time, energy, and effort. And you can get into just a good workflow and to keep your stuff up to date so that you're not having to backtrack and do a lot of work on the back end because it takes so much more time to play catch up than it does just to keep yourself caught up, you know? Yes. And I think it takes away from your therapy when you're having to play catch up too. Right. Yeah, so keep your stuff in compliance. Yeah, you have to. It's not the most fun part of the job, but it is part of the job. And if you do all the things that we were talking about previously, compliance is a lot easier. Yep. It's a lot easier to stay in compliance. It's a lot easier to make sure your your meetings are scheduled, your IEPs are in date, your re-evals are in date, your re-evals are uploaded, your evaluations are completed in a timely manner. So. It's an easy trap to get caught into when you're at a contract site or really anywhere you're working, but especially at a contract site or school because they're nice people there, Mm -hmm. you know, and you make friends with them. It's much easier to go and stay an extra 10 minutes at lunch talking to somebody about whatever. It's so much easier to do that versus, you know what, I'm done with my lunch now. I need to go get my paperwork done. Or, you know what, I really don't have time to eat lunch in the cafeteria day or whatever, or wherever else everybody eats lunch, and I need to sit in here in my room, eat my lunch, and do my paperwork. And just to sort of prioritize and get your work done in time, because it'll make it so that you can be nice. Otherwise, you're going to get behind, and you're not going to be able to connect with people any, because you're going to be playing catch-up. Right. You know? Yes. Yeah. So, bottom line, get your paperwork done on time. Stay caught up. Prioritize that. Not above therapy, but it's just part of the job. You just got to get your mess done. So... And it is mess sometimes. It's not fun. Okay, so on that note, those tips that we just gave you today are how to be successful in a contractor school site. You think we missed anything? No, I think we covered it. I think we did. I wish somebody had told me this 20 years ago. I really do, because I had to learn it the hard way. And sometimes it's a little embarrassing. If you're caught out and you don't have all your daily notes done, it really is only going to happen once, hopefully. And if you're embarrassed enough, you'll get your mess caught up. Right. Or always being behind in therapy because you're not using your time efficiently and things like that. Yeah. Right. But I think those are it. Those phone calls are never fun. No. No. Mm-mm. Makes you a bad day. Mm-mm, bad day. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I, I enjoyed it. Thank you, Kim. Thank you. We rolled through this. Yes. I think it's because we've lived it we've a def- lot. We've definitely lived it. <laughs> day in, day out. Still we living it. We've lived it. it. <laughs> we still, yes, we're still living it, right? Oh, we're still living it. Now we're just mentoring others through it and telling them, don't do this. I did this. Do, do it like this. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So the thing you have to remember when you're a school therapist or a contract therapist, you're moving quickly. And one of my 
phrases that I love to live by in life is that busy equals mentally healthy. And there are times when you are going to feel so stressed, you're going to feel like, I used to tell my therapist in the schools, I know you feel like an octopus. I think people just pull at you and you have something across your forehead that says, please help me, this child needs this, this child needs that, you have this meeting, you have that meeting. It takes many skills to work together so that you can have a successful school year. But at the end of the day, the end of the school year, you can look back and see that you've helped all these children. Not only have you helped children, but you've helped other people in the building that work with these children. Kim, you are so right, because what these people are doing, uh, if you're a school therapist out there and working at a contract site, we know you are busy. You are busy, yes, and you are working hard, yes, but what you're doing is you're impacting children's lives forever. You're changing the course of their lives in some situations. You're making it so that they can graduate high school or they just go on to do whatever they're going to do with their life. That's what you're doing. You're making it so they can go and be successful and do whatever they're doing in their life, and so you got this, basically. You're busy, and you're probably stressed out some and overworked, probably. Yes, we understand that, Kim, and I, yes, got that. But you can do this. You got it. So (laughs) you can do it. So anyway, I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. I've enjoyed hanging out with y'all, everyone listening, and Kim, especially with you. So I'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 